0: the theme for the evening talk is the uh, politics of uh, lifestyle uh, just in, in the staff dining room uh, uh, a little while ago uh, just hearing a few lines about the current um, presidential elections that are taking place in this uh, country and understood uh, rightly at one of the uh, at the major democratic convention the uh, presidential, presidential candidate Mr. Gore was uh, speaking I have, um, no idea uh, what uh, he said but what and I don't care too much either I have to say <laughs> but what I would say uh, with regard to to this having been in the u uh, s Uh, annually since the uh, 1970s and, of course, as is elsewhere in the West as well, that these very, very carefully uh, crafted uh, public speeches which are made and the various uh, content which uh, uh, goes along with that is, of course, designed absolutely and with no other purpose than to generate um, as much approval to the maximum number of people as possible. That is the primary single motivation which uh, accompanies that because we work on a majority uh, uh, system of uh, government. But it's also situations like this that one sees here as well as in uh, uh, the rest of democratic uh, countries, a kind of focus which is increasingly being designed and projected towards, in fact, a select number of people in society, because all opinion polls show that those people who are poor, who are marginalised, who are oppressed and forgotten, have very little real say in things, and the degree of their disillusionment and perhaps disheartenment is reflecting in the fact that they simply do not vote. And the pollsters and all those who engage in market research are acutely aware of who are the voters and who are not the voters and therefore are targeting a rather a select number of people in the community, perhaps 50, possibly 60%, and the rest are quietly and conveniently forgotten because they don't feel they have a real participation in uh, so-called uh, democratic processes. And I mention all of this because I think it's very important that when men and women uh, are reading the newspapers and are reading what this candidate is saying and that candidate is saying to uh, remember in the light of uh, what, what you uh, read what the intentions and motivations um, a- actually are and whether or not in the very trends and currents of society whether it really is contributing directly to, in Dharma language, the acknowledgement of suffering, and its resolution. Because that's all that the Dharma is concerned with, because human beings are concerned with the arising of suffering in life, and the consequences and the resolution uh, of of that. And I think in just taking a step back from the hype and the propaganda that uh, goes out in manifold a number of, uh, of ways, then it might be possible, and and there is some potential therefore, to actually think about political life in a completely different way from just the voting system, which of course just occurs in this country every four years and uh, other countries four or five or or, uh, uh, six years, and actually express some human rights in a political way and which really is in accordance with, with the Dharma and if one looks at this, and I, and I think underlooking, and this is a very important point because the Dharma is, I regard, utterly incompatible with uh, uh, conventional society values, that in looking deeper, an underlying factor which, upon which the structure of much of our political-economic thinking is based, it's on a principle of ownership that is a guiding feature like a strong thread of basis along which much of the thinking is taking place and therefore the therefore the pursuit of for the self through the various means within the legal system is a primary driving force in which men, men and women are in, involved in, and sometimes helplessly caught up in. That movement towards having, towards uh, uh, ownership, reaches such a point, of course, that it generates and leads in our life to a great deal of unawareness, a great deal of assessing in in the mind, and, of course, a consistency within that of uh, dissatisfaction. And as we listen today to uh, uh, one of the physicians here, that in the terms of actually living and living and dying, sometimes and for people who are very possessive around ownership and therefore clinging to various forms of uh, life, therefore there easily comes about an extraordinary attachment to health. Extraordinary attachment <coughs> to beauty extraordinary attachment to having and owning and when all of that is under threat as it will be in the passage of time it makes the individual's life and their friends and family's life extraordinarily difficult <coughs> because in the, pers- the ideology and the pursuit of ownership there will be fear there will be fear and fear haunts our society extraordinary numbers of ways and the huge industry of fear that's used to protect what we have to, to hold to what we have that we've become as human beings extraordinarily afraid of each other in our own neighbourhoods in our own communities because of fear of loss all of that underpins and goes along with the, the psychology of, of ownership and it isn't easy to look at this idea of Owner and what is owned, and the relationship to that. So, therefore, I say it, a different kind of politics is needed—not the politics of calling in at the polling booth and uh, putting one's signature or whatever one does on a name every few uh, years. And in fact, the differences, I would say, certainly in European countries between one party and another, it's nitpicking—a little bit here, a little, a little bit there—but the ideology. That's unwavering, and in that we may say, may say, what is the politics of lifestyle? What would I need to do from some kind of perspective of, of life which is really respectful to existence, to the maximum way that we can, can be? And therefore we may, all of us in this room, may have important and serious questions to ask ourselves about the lifestyle and the politics of the lifestyle. In, in that, we may have to begin with, uh, with what we have already. We may have to go home, we may have to look into uh, what we have. We heard from one person, Ruth Ann, today ma- mentioning uh, significant, she said uh, 50%. I think most people looked in their home and said, okay, I'm going back tomorrow, and this weekend I'm going to give a, empty out the contents of my place by 50%. I think most of us, including me, would take a bit of a deep gulp to uh, there. But maybe in looking there, we can, we can really say, look at what, what we have, and I know some people live extremely uh, modestly uh, here and some certainly don't, that in looking back to our particular uh, situation, maybe in the looking at that, the relationship to what we have already Needs to be attended to. Less of this idea of what I don't have and what I would like to have and what I need to go and make money to get and actually look at what one has already and perhaps start an important and fresh relationship with what we have already. Because the current track record of things seems to be that there is such a proliferation of production in, in, in a mad and mass way that people have no real opportunity and, and perhaps nor the willingness to stop and say, well, what I have already, is this okay? And to find some contentment with what is and to generate more space in our life will for uh, some of us include in that generating much more space in our life by learning to give away what we really don't need, and there's a hell of a lot of it in many homes. And if we went through each room, those of us who are privileged have more than live in more than one room, and we could have a clean sweep in our home and just learn the diligence and the practice of life of just being content with what is. And to really put some time and effort into that relationship. I think it's particularly important anywhere in the West. I think it's especially important in this uh, this country, the very size of this uh, uh, country, the very... uh, uh, potency at the moment it has on the world's stage the fact that in the United States the average person in terms of resources consumes 75 times more than what the average person does in India and, uh, and in, in, in uh, Europe it's I think it's, it's 40 times so there's some kind of awareness of politics which we as Westerners and as blessed th- through our situation can really bring look honestly at ownership and the relationship that one has to ownership. I think that's a, a more potent and powerful political statement than anything you might do in November. In looking into that as explored with the person today with, with diet, such an extraordinarily important area uh, of, of our life, and it really concerns me in Dharma teachings and practices how these important basic elements of living wisely are not discussed adequately enough and are not talked about fully, fully uh, enough. And sometimes it seems that we, we, what we end up doing is coming on a meditation retreat and the interest, the purpose, the motives of it, so easily can be, if I come on a meditation retreat in order to find some meditation methods and techniques which will help me to be more at calm with myself, less stressed, have a easier way of life, and then I can, so that I can go back and continue in the same old blind way, and there are too many people who uh, turning sometimes up on retreats and want it always. And life will keep telling all of us, no, you, no, you, we, us, we cannot have it always. If we think we can just have peace of mind, calmness, clarity, happiness, contentment and wisdom, and be engaged in wanting, 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 and getting and feeling satisfied and not getting and feeling miserable, And have peace of mind, it does not go together. And when people come and sometimes say, I went on a meditation retreat, I felt just great. At the end of the retreat I left, I felt great. At the end of the weekend I still felt great. I didn't quite feel so great on the Monday morning and gradually it's diminished, whatever. Sometimes that, because we are relying on the past called the experiences or the benefits or the silence or the sangha or the teachings or the methodology that was used, and we have forgotten that any energy which we have generated in this period of time has as a primary importance and function to enable us to look at the politics of lifestyle, the way we live. And if we just go blindly back into repetition, of course we'll feel a diminishing influence of the benefits of the retreat, and, and a time will go by, and of course we'll say, my God, I'm just It's just how it was before. No easy task for any of us in any way to generate and try to find ways to enlighten our life. The Buddha in his uh, great uh, uh, wisdom implored and encouraged and cajoled and persuaded and reminded all of us again and again that every area and feature of our life matters. You know, and if, you know, just at home, the more we have, if you take one small example of that, the more we have, given the complexity of all that we have in our home, think how much human labour goes into it. Anything. Cleaning, dusting, maintaining, or Whatever. All the items which have, on average, electrical items, a built in shelf life, deliberately, of maybe five or six years. All of that energy and time and effort that we put into that, could it be that with things that we have, we take a different position? Could it be when we say to ourselves, and when we find ourselves infatuated with all these time-saving gadgets that we have accumulated for everything in the home, everything in the, here. If we take IMS as a small, if we put it in business terms, small company, when I first came here there were about eight or ten hippies running this place, coming back from India with nothing much to do or go and run the centre. The numbers haven't increased that much over the over the years in terms of retreatants. There's always been the ceiling of about a, a hundred. And not, not unlike other centres, we find, so somebody told me, a dozen computers there, and executive directors and assistant directors, and the other centres I go to, including Gay House, all, all the same. And it's just, everything's got... More and more, time-saving gadgets. But less time. There's something that's askew. All the press-button things of sending out all the labels in one go, put envelopes, etc., etc. All the information that's going on, all the desktop publishing, etc. There's none of that. And as we all know, 10 or 20 uh, years ago, accumulated all of this, all of which has to be covered in the costs, etc. But the staff aren't saying, which has now nearly doubled in numbers, we've got so much free time in our hands. They're just working just as hard as they were 10 years ago and 20 years ago. There is a mythology that we're living in. a, a, A false idea that we've constructed together. If we want to generate something in our life, it will require a good looking at our life and create space for it. Would we be we willing to make that happen? Would we be willing with diet? Not just eating this, that and the other because the tendency says, oh I like this and I, I don't like that. But actually to say, well what is the outcome And what is the consequences of it? Could my diet be influenced just by sensitive information about the impact on myself, the impact on the world around, on sentient beings, on on, on the environment? Could I actually begin to choose, not from a place of likes and dislikes, but actually from a place of awareness, respect and sensitivity, because that's what the Dharma is about. For that to take place in our life, for the politics of lifestyle to take place, we may have to pursue, quite conscientiously as some of us has done, informative information which really generates choice. And I think that kind of awareness and, and sensitivity will bring, as it were, something deep out, out of us because we'll say yes to this and no to that, but we're not coming from a conditioned mind. We're not coming from those utterly insulting advertisements which we are dosed up with night after night on the television. We're actually coming from a place one's given some reflection to this, one's brought some awareness to this, one has taken some careful action to be well informed and from that one is giving support to organic life, which is called the physical body to organic life, which is called land, water and air There should be a whole fresh way for a human being to be in this in, 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 in this world and not this tragedy that's taking place in a, in a world which now has as many undernourished people as we have obese something is deeply missing in, inside of human beings in the heart life in the emotional life in the connectedness life and I think all of us all of us in this room without any exception can really make a significant difference and you make a significant difference not proselytizing not with some kind of missionary zeal But with awareness and sensitivity, it may contribute in a kind, caring way to informing others. You will not hear a word of this from from the bushes and the gauze. They don't know anything of these awarenesses. They live in another another world of of making and producing and getting and, 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 and gaining. They live in a world of the pursuit of self-interest, of maintaining, maintaining power. It's not our world. Our world has depth to it, it has care. It, 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 it's another way of being in this existence. And we cannot look to these people for that which really matters to the earth and its people. It will come from us and us alone. When we look, sometimes just areas of of, of, uh, of um, what we wear and our relationship to, to clothes and not to underestimate the extraordinary grip that that particular industry has over us. Not only in terms of fashion and endlessly having to buy to keep up with something new, but also the kind of materials that we use to be well-informed, wise natural fibers and cottons why that and wool why that's worth giving attention to why why other kinds of materials are worth being well informed about what are the consequences to our environment etc to know about these things some of you are very privileged you've, you've earned money you've benefited from this so-called economic boon which has um, privileged some people and uh, marginalized and made others in the world even poorer than what they are there. And some people here have inherited money from your parents or grandparents and friends or you expect to come into that money in the not-too-distant future, uh, etc. But if you don't know what's happening to your money, then one's part of the problem and not part of the cure. If one's thinking in terms of money you may say well i'm not a day trader, I'm not wheeling and dealing in that gross and vulgar way, but if one's just looking out for the best investments and what's going to give the biggest return, what does that show about awareness? What does that show about us about being informed and and and, and knowing and it isn't an easy thing in life for those who have those kind of privileges to say there's something matters far more than just accumulating more numbers on, on, the, on, on my investments or whatever. What about really making real decisions which show some spirit for us of renunciation or letting go or making real changes and really saying to oneself, if I really am aware and a really caring and conscious human being, to the most that I can, I will make my investments ethical. There're enough services, enough good people around and enough ad- advisors and I'm just aware that there are limitations in in those kind of ethical investments as well of reasonably well informed on these things. But nevertheless it's a shift and it's, a, and it's a shift which matters. It's a shift away from money or money going into the tobacco industry and into the defence industry and to the uh, oil industry and the pollution industries, etc. And saying, I really want to know what is happening to this money which my, I've earned or my parents or grandparents or others have kindly and generously passed on to me. Therefore, I want to make sure that it's being used wisely. And that's going to mean for some who already have too much money anyway that their returns won't be so big. It's no easy thing to, when one's in Dharma world and, and, to, and living wisely and compassionately and really walking our talk as best we can because this then really starts challenging every area of our existence. It, it's, it really is a tough one. It makes us feel uncomfortable hearing it, but the other way ain't working. The people in sub-Sahara Africa are just slowly being written off. The people of the United States in overseas aid, give a grand total per year per person to, to the poorest of the world of twenty seven dollars. That's what your government offers from your taxes per year. So unless you and I actually take a step back from our normal everyday mind, what I'm saying and Shada and Mark over the days, and actually see the nature of the conditioned self, and and actually take the have the courage and dare it's a great challenge but a wonderful one say I'm going to step outside of it I'm actually going to listen as much as I can, it isn't easy to another way and if I'm going to find ways with my home and with my uh, diet and with my lifestyle and with the renunciation of luxury goods and looking to my money and something about doing that though it sounds a little bit of the of the hard road. But people who do it, and I know already a number of you have done this uh, already and are putting these principles into practice, people who actually do it actually generate something else. It kind of feels like one's bringing something deep out of one's being, something good and and genuine sense of goodness out of one's uh, existence. And though it's hard, but there's something freeing through not being so much into a clinging, holding, wanting, self-interested world. And if a movement can start, and already it has in various uh, ways of men and women really committed to, to this and really making this a real priority in the life. And if we're happy, and we're not doing it because we feel very guilty, I'm not doing it because we're we're, we're ridden with remorse about what's happened in the past. And it's generating greater inner space and we're feeling freer, and we're feeling happier. It's an extraordinarily powerful political, social uh, and communal message to be putting out. The happiness that goes along with the freeing up of our life and the willingness to take risks, that generates itself that has more power to it than the kind of renunciates who have this kind of uh, grim look all life is suffering and carry that around and nothing's worth clinging to and a kind of depressed view of existence actually less ownership and less pursuit of it actually may seem gosh this could create greater insecurity but maybe It might create something else. Just when I was at CIMC the other evening, on Wednesday evening, speaking there. Let's begin finding the middle way. One of the people at that meeting uh, uh, asked a question, and I remember rightly, she said that with her health insurance as an uh, example, she is now. She's given up her free afternoon a week in order to pay uh, to increase her payment to the health insurance company because she's getting older and she wants a, a better coverage. And some will say, "Well, that would be appropriate. That would be a sensible uh, thing uh, thing to do." But my question and concern was in, and this is where people make this difficult decisions, in giving up her afternoon and her free time for that, that extra amount of workload in the office could create more pressure, could create more stress, and then she ends up needing to use it because she's paid for that which is going to make her contribute to making her unwell. Somewhere in all of this, and then somebody else thought, well, are you saying, Christopher, no health insurance and, just, and good luck? No. Some middle ground in all of this, but perhaps enough awareness inside of ourselves to see, are we driven by fear? As I said to her, Insurance companies are jumping with glee because of people's fear of ill health. That's why they make mega profit. And it has such an impact on us. So is there some middle ground which we actually look at within ourselves and with within each other to see in a way what way can we live skillfully given the realities of the society in which we Live, but not being a prisoner through fear and insecurity—an extraordinary challenge. I'm not sure if that the resolutions of all that can just come through sitting on a medication, medication or meditation cushion, <laughs> and walking, walking up and down for eight days. But perhaps out of it, we get a little more strength in ourselves a little bit more, hopefully, groundedness. a little bit more uh, stability, and we say, yes, I really am interested in the Dharma of awakening. I don't want to sleepwalk through this existence. I want to, as someone said, leave a really significant contribution to existence. It won't come through the pursuit of ownership. It won't come through identification with all the current ideologies which shape our life. We won't get enough awareness and inspiration from our educational systems because they haven't explored these things. My teenage daughter studied, studied business studies for two or three years to, during her teens. Didn't stop her from uh, entering into a uh, significant uh, visa card debt with the visa card company who were sending her all this information on her eighteenth birthday, and six or nine months uh, later she's got a fifteen hundred dollar debt. Didn't just didn't know how to handle them, how, how to handle the card. And guess who has to cough up? <laughs> it's true. So so much of what is learned doesn't really have a deep practical relevance for actual living it doesn't help people to live the scientific community can offer a tremendous amount of knowledge and, and expertise and they're on a high at the moment with all this uh, genetic uh, banks and modifications and all that that's, 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 that's going, going on there and we may wonder and may feel some extraordinaryness at what they're able, able to do with, with all of this research. But it isn't helping human beings to live wisely. And living wisely, when it all comes down to it, is what really counts. So we've got to use, the, the Buddha's term here, clear discrimination of mind. And to say, well, what really is valuable What really is superficial in my life? What really isn't significant I can learn to do without? And where can I really put my attention? How would that show in love for each other? How would that manifest in really taking care with the use of resources, including possessions, including land, water, and air? How would it show itself in digging deep to bring out Beautiful expressions of creativity in one's life. How would it show in my relation, relationship to people who are far less better off than I? That kind of stepping back in our life and really questioning, in our life is, as I said earlier, it's a huge thing to want to do. But it's what the Dharma is about. When I was on the coast yarder, and I were last year, or when we, we came out of San Francisco airport and I said to her, what are all these big vehicles running around? And I thought they were limos picking up various passengers. And she said, no, no, no. They're not. This is the latest thing, last three or four years. They're called SUVs. Sports Utilities. There's so many of them on the, on the right. We've got them over here as, as well. So, I'm invited to give the evening talk at uh, Spirit Rock, the sister center. And through the good uh, influences of uh, the teachers there and the wonderful service, many people come on a, a Monday evening. Some 300 people may come, 400 there. So, before going in to give the evening talk, I had a little wander around the car park. (laughs) (laughs) Just to take a little notice of what the Dharma Wallers were driving to the evening talking. And there was quite a few of these SUVs there. And I read a little bit how much gas they use up One that they block the view of drivers who are behind because of their height, they're not especially safe, 60 minutes did a TV program on them because they tilt uh, uh, over, they're expensive they're rarely used on rough roads (laughs) because there aren't any and people sit high in them it may be for other reasons (laughs) So I commented on this in the uh, evening talk, and I said, I've been hearing from SUVs, about these SUVs, and I understand that they are called SUVs because they are simply useless vehicles. <laughs> little people are people, a little upset but in the looking in the learning to step back with all of these I haven't been to the car park so some of you <laughs> enjoy the drive home <laughs> um, but sometimes We've lost some sense of the middle way here. we don't realize that the impact of things life ends up owning us. We've sold out, and the effect of all all, all of that is we've become a prisoner to fashion to trends, to what's in at the moment, etc, and it takes a lot of awareness to say. No. It takes a lot of awareness with the car as such a powerful symbol in the culture to say with with the car that it's simply tin on four wheels to go from A to B. Period. And therefore can we live in one area of our life with moderation and find ways and means to only use the car when it has a genuine necessity, I and mean, when sometimes when one 's in the cities and walks around in the streets here as well as in Europe, of course, sometimes i 've been walking around leafy middle class streets where friends are living, and i haven 't seen a single person on the street been jogging around kilometers jogging around, not a person on the street out of the front door into the car. Five minutes down to the pizza parlor and drive back. No thought of moderation. No thought of renunciation. No thought that God gave us a pair of feet to use. And that lack of that awareness. Everybody says, more of us say, little than everybody, more of us say, this needs looking at. If we're going to keep talking about being aware of human creatures and mindful human creatures and conscious human creatures and interconnected human creatures, then we've got to find it's not easy our ways to do it. I know from flying in aeroplanes, my goodness, you know, so many continents, I can't remember how many there are, and sometimes in the evening or in the day one looks up at the sky and one sees that monstrous trail of pollution there, pollution and sky, say, hey, Christopher, you're one of those who's contributing to all of that. And the only way it can possibly be justified by someone like myself is that though it contributes to increasing the level of pollution, and significantly so, that if people who lend a near on the Dharma say Yes, I'm going to look at my lifestyle. Yes, I'm going to be respectful to what I have. No, I'm not going to be pursuing the latest next thing to get. Yes, I'm going to take care with my use of appliances, with my energies, household energies, the resources, etc. Yes, I'm really committed to that. Then the journey would be worthwhile. But if I come or we come and it makes no difference in your life and the use of resources then I am as bigger part of the problem as anybody else. It's actually in your hands. (laughs) I think it's called (laughs) (laughs) guilt-tripping. For that, one of the underlying factors from the outer Obviously, does come with us and what's generated from the inner life. And I do think a lot of the issues and problems that arise is because somehow or other in our life on this earth and in our relationship with each other I think one of the important and unsatisfactory influence of all of this is insecurity. So not only in terms of an engaged way of being and connecting with this world, as many of you are doing extraordinarily important and invaluable uh, work for the support of others. And just seeing the forms that you fill in, the registration forms, and what people are uh, doing through forms of service and through the arts and conflict resolution and environmental justice and healing in the conventional and the complementary ways. Uh, Education, psychotherapy, tremendous amount of tremendously kind, wise uh, areas of focus and attention going out. But we also need to be willing to challenge the structures as well. We need to be able to find ways to challenge the underlying philosophies that generate uh, our, our life and to be able to question that and work hard on that as well. So in that, I say we need, in very uh, practical ways, the real support of each other. We need to be able to talk about these things and look at these things. Some of you are skilled in writing. Some of you are skilled in uh, have communication skills and art skills, uh, etc. Some of you have skills in the legal profession and, in, and environmental issues and all sorts of skills in this room. And I believe all of us, in all of this, both in our own lives and in the uh, world around us, all can make a difference. And that difference, hopefully, can set forth a a, a, a movement, a bigger movement. Buddhism isn't going to do that. pie-in-the-sky thinking. New-age thinking isn't going to do to do that environmentalists aren't going to do that ralph nader isn't going to do uh, and do that and as far as bush and god, god. the height of wishful thinking so it will come it will come from grassroots it will come from uh, ourselves some people feel so imprisoned in their circumstances sometimes some have to make a step for a period of time as you've done today here. Some step out of the situation and therefore it might be going on retreat. It might be going into the nature. Not just to have a good time in the nature, important and as wonderful as that. But say, and make some space to see what, in practical terms, I can challenge my life. I can take risks. I can learn to do without, without going to extremes, and to see what that releases from me. And I think all of this is a contribution in our life to finding an experience in our life, what awakening to life is about. If we don't do it, then I think the suffering will increase systematically, gradually, at every level right from climate change to wars. Even earlier this year, the UN officials were predicting that the war, new wars won't be over land as they have been for two, three 3,000, thousands of years. The new wars will be over water. It will take to go from the larger situation to suffering in communal and international, etc, etc. That shifting of all of that is rests with us. We start taking these things seriously. We start putting our heart into it. We feel the vigour and the challenge of it. That will generate something far and wide. Because we not only have to show our own culture that there is a genuinely post-consumer culture which is available, we also have to have to support and show those people in other other nations that we've gone beyond the mediocrity of consuming, consuming, consuming. May all beings live with compassion. May all beings bring deep awareness to daily life. May all beings live with wisdom. Two minutes of quiet period. I'd just like to uh, take a couple of minutes as we're coming to the closing uh, period just a little bit with regard to uh, Spirit Rock uh, IMS and um, uh, the centre uh, here and some of you know coming uh, regularly uh, over the years and, and the, the very kindnesses that were expressed in fact today with, uh, during the go around the tremendous love and Support and work that goes into uh, the facility uh, here. And uh, the staff work extraordinarily uh, hard and uh, really are the background pillars of support for uh, each and uh, every one of us. And there's a significant uh, volunteer staff. What's the one? Do you know the number? Yes. And so. Uh, something around about 20 staff who are here and I think probably 14 or 15 or maybe maybe more are volunteer staff. What's the, the stipend these days? Yeah. So as you heard, the stipend is very, very modest of $150 uh, a month which is um, $5 a day and put in a tremendous amount of work and the very fact of the staff doing all this voluntary work for us all does help and make a real contribution to keeping the daily rate here as uh, low as possible and, and has to bear in mind with the overall running costs uh, of the facility. H- huge amount of expenses in running these uh, facilities and constantly needing to modernise and uh, uh, renovate and update through the sheer amount of use uh, that's taken place uh, here as buildings uh, age. And the daily rate and also the donations which some of you and others have given to the center in a very real and practical way help to run uh, and keep the IMS going. And IMS, certainly in the Dharma world and uh, teaching from uh, the East and all the traditions, IMS has an extraordinary high reputation uh, everywhere for the firmness and dedication of the teachings to the seriousness of the practices that are taking place here uh, every day of the year. And it's regarded internationally as one of the most important uh, meditation centers on the planet. And it's a real powerhouse of of, of, of a place. And many times, wherever I go, people uh, ask me about uh, IMS and uh, the facilities here. And that's a real credit to everybody who has a connection with the center. At the end of the retreat, what takes place is that a box is placed at the uh, uh, ledge beneath the notice board. And in that, it's a dana, D-A-N-A, donation box. And any help and support that you can uh, give to the uh, staff is very, very much appreciated. $5 doesn't exactly go a long way, and um, I'm sure that sometimes they must get a bit bored with all this healthy food, and want to pop down to the cozy cabin um, nearby for a three-egg omelette or something. And uh, and your uh, contributions to their omelettes are really really appreciated, but you're... uh, Etc. Et so any contributions that you make really do uh, uh, help in uh, many things to see friends in Boston or whatever it might, uh, might might be and the staff I know are extremely grateful for all the kindnesses that uh, uh, you give to them both in uh, word and in, in deed and with uh, the teachers Shada and uh, Mark and uh, I when we come from the respective places that we come from so myself from uh, uh, the UK and uh, mark now based in the west coast the spirit rock center and sharda uh, just recently recently has moved to uh, uh, seattle that the center covers the travel expenses from the time we leave home to uh, to and, and the return and in my my case uh, because and I fly tomorrow evening to the other coast, and the travel expenses are shared between the two facilities. We don't receive any stipend nor any income at all, and we rely upon your kind generosity and donations, which in that available in that wooden box out there, which looks. Like a mini coffin, and uh, <laughs> it's true. And uh, <laughs> and with with regard to that, in terms of uh, the retreat uh, here, it's been a real joy to uh, see lots of uh, young uh, people uh, here in. The, and in their uh, early, early uh, uh, 20s, uh, etc. And that nice, you know, lovely spectrum of uh, uh, the ages. I think it's so important. It's uh, important for the present generation and it's important for the future uh, generations. And I think in many ways, uh, those of us who've been on the Dharma scene for uh, some years, it's I find one of the most uh, lovely and gratifying things to the uh, young men and women who are interested in the Dharma. Uh, I think the challenges that teenagers and people in their twenties have now, I think are much harder. I think there's much more pressure on them than there was in our generation. And I think that uh, real credit to to them, how well they manage and cope and work with the things that are going on in the culture and society and the pressures upon them at every single uh, level uh, inwardly and outwardly, and I think love and support there. And I know with regard to that, ob- obviously, uh, with the young people that, uh, and, and others too, who are on a very tight financial budget, please with the dhana, don't feel pressure to have to, to have to give. Others will be leaving their American Express card in the box. <laughs> <laughs> well, not quite, perhaps, but... Uh, <laughs> Hint, hint. <laughs> <laughs> but in fact, uh, others uh, the kindness of, of others uh, and uh, giving support uh, to us really does uh, help. It's truly our primary uh, source of, uh, of uh, income. And not only helps to uh, keep the Dharma teachings uh, flowing uh, as, as well, but to cover all the costs that are going on outside of the retreats and may say the growing amount of work that uh, teachers uh, have outside of these uh, situations with the correspondence and, uh, and and writing and many, many meetings and organizing and support for individuals and groups and organizations and communities, and uh, that work is very much supported by through the from the retreats and the dada the, the donations that come in for a retreat. So uh, we're very, very grateful and very, very appreciative for your kindness and support for us with regard to that. And that's certainly uh, appreciated, obviously, equally by the other teachers who come to IMS and the other centres. So at this time now, it's uh, 8.35. And if the bell ringer would kindly ring the bell in 20, 25 minutes. And then just after 9 o'clock, There'll be uh, a sitting through until uh, 9, 930 and thank you very much.